Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. But today I want to get into the word with you. I'm going to be reading out of Exodus chapter 15. This is the big moment in scripture where we hear the name Jehovah Rapha. It means I am the God who heals you. Just say Jehovah Rapha. Ooh, what a powerful name. This is the moment in scripture where it happens. And I, in uh, December, was very, very sick in my bed, as you probably know, had COVID, and just kept praying this name, quite honestly. It was just Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rapha. Like, you're my healer. I know you are. And I grew up in church, but just because you grow up in church doesn't mean you know everything. And I kind of got the, the, the stories twisted. And I swore, I swore that Jehovah Rapha, the story of Jehovah Rapha was that moment in scripture with the snake and where all the people of Israel got bit and then they lifted the snake up on the staff. And I was like, clearly that's like the most healing verse where we see that, that snake lifted up on the staff and all the people of Israel get healed. And that's like the symbol in modern medicine for healing. And I was like, certainly that's Jehovah Rapha. So I'm in my bed just claiming all of that. And then when I actually open the word, which friends, sometimes you got to actually open the word, actually read and don't just try to do total recall, I realized, oh, hello, I was completely wrong. (laughs) And this story here, the revelation of the God who heals us, it's in a story you might not expect, but I think you're going to get some revelation today. Exodus 15, verse 22, the people of Israel are on their way to the promised land, on their way to their blessing, on their way to what God has promised them but it gets a little difficult. I feel like I just end up preaching about this idea so much because that's our life. We're on the way to something, but we're not there yet. True? And they are getting very thirsty. So let's pick it up in verse 22. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to a place called Mara, they could not drink. So they finally found water, but they could not drink this water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara, because that means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. It was a part of a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued rulings and instructions for them and put them to the test. And he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the, on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to another place, Elim, where there were 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. We're gonna dive into this story and I'm gonna preach today. I hope you're ready to receive. But the idea here. The bitter made me better. The bitter made me better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is a house of miracles. I feel it today, God. I can barely contain myself. And I thank you that everyone watching at home, everyone sitting in this room today is postured for the miraculous. Lord, we don't show up here expecting the normal. We don't show up here as part of our weekly schedule, as a checklist to do, as something before we go eat. We come here with the divine expectation for the miraculous. And if you aren't somewhere, we don't want to go there. But if you're here, this is the only place we want to be. So put aside every distraction from our minds today and help us to focus on the purpose that you have for us today, Father God. 
heal our hearts, heal our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just say it after me. The bitter made me better. This is such an interesting moment in Israel's journey because like I said, they're on their way, but they are desperate, thirsty. It's necessary that they find some water soon because they're walking around this desert and have nothing to drink. And so they come up to this place and see water that they are excited, I'm sure, to come upon. But I don't know who the first guy was. Someone was the first guy. (laughs) Someone was like ahead of the camp and reached down and grabbed some of that water and starts gagging on it because it's bitter. Poor guy. Like he just wanted something to drink. This reminds me of a moment in my childhood where I was so thirsty. I was outside running around playing with my cousins. Uh, this story really makes me nauseous when I think about it. So I was so thirsty and I look and I, inside there is this beautiful, shiny can of Coke. Yeah. And it's like hot outside. It almost looks like a commercial where it's like perfectly sweating on the pastor Amy knows where it's like sweating on the outside. And so I go and just, I'm thirsty. So I grab this Coke, but I did not realize that this was not Coke. This was leftover. And this was something someone was using to spit their tobacco into. And I grabbed that thing and I tilted it back and I started gagging and spitting and coughing. And even thinking about it to this day, I can remember how disgusting. And I don't know what grossed me out more, that it was tobacco or that it was used tobacco. Like, I don't know what's worse, but it was bad. It was really, really bad. But when you think you're going to get one thing and then it's bitter in your mouth... There are levels of anger and disappointment and frustration that come up where you've been going through difficulty and you suddenly see the water you've been waiting for. Then when you taste of that water and it's bitter in your mouth, what do you do? What do you do when you've been praying for Mr. Right? You've been praying for your soulmate. You've been praying for the Eve to your Adam or the Boaz to your Ruth. You've been praying for that relationship and you believe it'll complete you. You see it. You see it on its way. You you understand it's there, but then you get into it. You say, I do. And then one year in, you recognize this doesn't seem the way I thought it would. There's actually some difficulty and challenge to this. It's bitter taste. Or you're believing and praying and and trusting for your family to expand and to step into parenthood. And then that beautiful news comes and then you, you step into parenthood and your whole life changes and you realize this isn't exactly what I thought it would be. My wife and I, we went through a year of infertility and we just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, prayed for a baby. And then when God blessed us with that baby, we thanked him. And then about two and a half years in, I was like, wait, hold on. (laughs) How fickle are we? How fickle are we that we just crave one thing? And then when the blessing comes, and as Joel Osteen says, with the blessing comes a burden. When the burden hits with the blessing, we don't know what to do with ourselves. Praying for the job believing for the job. And then it comes with responsibility and some coworkers that you don't like and some demand. Someone felt that (laughs) they say, (laughs) you saw the water ran up to it. And then it was bitter in your mouth. That's where Israel is at. And not all of this is just issues of comfort. I don't want to trivialize some of the other areas of deep uh, disappointment where you believe your life is going to look one day and one way and then a diagnosis comes in and you are dealt a situation that you never asked for. You, you didn't try to get yourself into this situation. 
And now you struggle every day and it's bitter and it's difficult and it's hard. And you are, you are troubled in your body. Maybe you struggle with your mental health. Maybe when you lay down at night and, oh, friends, I've been here and the anxiety races through your chest and you feel heavy and you can't breathe. And everything on the outside looks right, but there's something in you that is bitter and it's not correct and it's out of alignment and it's causing that deep frustration, that deep hurt, that mental, emotional struggle. Maybe you're dealing with addiction. And at first it was something that was rather in your control. It was just a few choices and I got this and I'll stop at some point. But now you find yourself incapable of stopping. And this water that looked so satisfying, this lifestyle that looked so appealing is now like bitterness in your mouth. Maybe you've been betrayed and hurt and someone has betrayed you or abandoned you or walked out on you or your marriage is struggling or your family is struggling and the perfect picture that you had is now like bitter water in your mouth. That's where Israel is. It's where we are. You know, we went through 2020 and we're here in 2021 and I, I remember seeing someone say like, whoever was like saying 2020 was their year, <laughs> can y'all stop that? <laughs> we pictured life one way. And here we are today, and it looks very different. It is in this scenario, this climate, that God chooses to reveal himself as healer. It's not when Israel is throwing up and coughing and going through all of the physical ailments that they certainly do at different points in the journey. But it's here that God chooses to reveal himself as healer. There's so much meaning to that. I got to take a step back. Anytime that we see a new name of God in scripture. So the, the way he chooses to reveal himself, Jehovah, it's a word that means I am. But then what I love is throughout scripture, he reveals different facets of what I am means. So sometimes it's, I am your peace. I am your provider. I am your righteousness. I am your banner. I am the God who sees you. That's my personal favorite, Jehovah Elroy. I see you right where you are. When everything fell apart, I see you. And in every scenario, he reveals a different part of himself for a reason and for purpose. And this is the first time he reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God who heals you. And I believe... That healing, that divine healing is not just an issue of physical concern. Because if God chose to show himself as healer in a place called bitterness, then maybe his healing power runs deeper than just our body. Maybe God is concerned with healing the bitterness within us. Healing the climate of our soul that was changed by the climate of our situation. Because when you drink in bitter, you become bitter. When you taste bitter, it's easy to be bitter. When life spoils on you, it's easy for your heart to be disappointed. And that's when God says, no, I have to heal something in you. I've got, and I think all of us are postured for the miraculous work of him healing the bitterness within us. And I mean, psychology proves it. Bitterness is one of the biggest reasons that sickness starts to happen in the physical body. When you hold bitterness for decades, your physical body starts to demonstrate ailments because of held bitterness. Now, I'm not saying every sickness is caused by bitterness, but I'm saying bitterness, when unchecked, will always result in ailment. 
And God says, I want to heal the bitterness. So let's look at this story. Let's look what happens. So they're walking uh, for all these days without water, three days without water. They're desperate. They're thirsty. And they finally come to this place, but they start complaining. They say, what are we supposed to drink? Because this isn't going to work. We have to be so careful about how we allow a complaining voice to come out of our mouth. Because just because something's bitter doesn't mean you have to then release bitterness into the atmosphere. Yeah, this, this is tough. Yeah, things are hard right now. And there's a difference between stating fact and complaining about it. There's a difference between admitting there's a problem, but taking that grumbling attitude, that grumbling heart, is what toxifies the climate of our soul. And at that moment, I believe, is when the internal sickness began. Right here, God looks down and he says, my people are sick because they're grumbling against me. And the minute that we start to question the goodness of God, there has been a sickness that has taken root in our heart. It's what the enemy tried to infect Adam and Eve with in the garden. He said, did God really say? Did God really? And they started to question, well, maybe he doesn't want good for me. Maybe he isn't there. Maybe he doesn't see. All of those questions toxify the climate of our soul, and we are in a sickness that is sin. And God says, oh, I've got to heal that. I've got to heal that. And so this grumbling begins, and then Moses cries out to the Lord. I love Moses, man. He's like on his own. He's on his own with these grumbling people and trying to pull them back into God. And that's why I'm grateful for spiritual leaders in my life. First and foremost, Jesus Christ. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm grateful for him that he pulls me in when I need it. But I'm grateful for our pastors because when I've grumbled and complained and been bitter and been wrong, there have been people praying when I wasn't, people believing when I wasn't, and yes, they're human, but they're anointed, and they're my covering, and they're our covering, and through this time, we should be grateful and praying for these people. Y'all think it's hard for you? Imagine carrying all of this, and Moses is there, and he cries out to the Lord, and I have a feeling at this point in the desert, his cry is a little bit louder, I think at this point, he has just seen too much. They've already passed the Red Sea. They've seen the most dramatic physical miracle in recorded history, and now the people are like, this don't taste good. You would think that Israel would have a little more faith. You would think you and I would have a little more faith because if you look back on the journey, you see how God has protected you and preserved you and brought you to this moment. I know it doesn't taste good, but you're here, and that's a testament to God's goodness. That's a testament to his faithfulness. You're here. We're alive today. And yes, it's hard, but this day was written in the book. This day was authored by God. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. In it. Not after it. Not once it's over. I'll be glad in it. I will guard the climate of my soul in this day the Lord made. I will not allow the bitterness around me to cause bitterness within me. But that's what's happening here. They're complaining. And so Moses cries out and the Lord shows him this piece of wood, this tree. And, and Moses picks it up and threw it in the water. I could just see the way that he threw it with a lot of uh, fire within him. He throws it in the water and the water becomes fit to drink. Other versions say it becomes sweet. God turned the bitter 
into sweet. There's so much speculation because this is such like a tiny moment in scripture and I've read and and studied a lot of different uh, views on it. But what's fascinating about looking at theological views about a miracle is it's still a miracle. Like it doesn't matter how, what way we look at it, it's a miracle. And we're just trying to ascertain what God did. I read one theologian who said that he believes that the sap in the tree drew in all the impurities in the water to the bottom of that reservoir and the top of the water became fit to drink. Still a miracle, whichever way you look at it, okay? I read another that said that the minerals in the water and as Israel drank, this one was fascinating, that everyone in Egypt, without getting too graphic, everyone in the lower class of Egypt, um, how shall I say, had digestive issues because of, you know, it was ancient history and they didn't have hygiene. And so this theologian said he believes that when the people drank this water because it used to be bitter, it had lots of minerals and it um, helped cleanse them internally and ultimately healed them of what they were carrying from the past. Interesting thought, thought, still a miracle, but what I love and what I see here is from Moses' perspective that the secret ingredient, the missing ingredient in a bitter situation is obedience. Ooh, I'm about to preach. what, What do I think about the wood? Was it magical? I don't know. Was there magic sap that drew? I don't care. I see a man who obeyed. And in picking up that piece of wood and throwing that wood, Moses operated against reason and against logic. He heard God say, do this, and he did it. And the missing ingredient in your bitter situation is your obedience. Obedient actions in bitter situations bring about the miraculous. It's easy to obey when everything's sweet. True? It's sweet. Everything's awesome. Let's obey. Let's clap and sing and do what we're supposed to do because it's easy. But when opposition comes, when difficulty comes, obedience is the one thing that has to be thrown into that pot of bitterness and it changes everything. One obedient action from you can change everything. And so the question is, are you obedient in bitterness? Are you obedient in bitterness? How obedient are you? Because <laughs> obedience is a percentage scale. We work with my son on this all the time. Like 90% obedience is disobedience. <laughs> if, if God said, Moses, throw that piece of wood into the water, and Moses said, well, I'll, I'll just kind of like roll it in. Is that obedience? No. <laughs> obedience is doing what you've been told, how you've been told, when you've been told. I sound like the father of a five-year-old. What you've been told, how you've been told, when you've been told. And if God puts something in our hearts, we need to do what he says, how he says, when he says. And if you're concerned of like, I don't know what he's saying, open the book. He says, do not worry, number one. And so in this trying time, one of the things we have to obey is not to worry. He says, be inventive in encouraging one another. Go out and do that. He says, do not forsake the assembling together, whether it's electronic or here, it doesn't matter. We have to make sure that we prioritize the connection in our lives. Do what he says, when he says, how he says. In your marriage, when it's all bitterness, someone has to throw obedience into that equation. Someone has to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what you're doing. You're crazy, but I'm praying. I'm declaring. I'm believing. I'm holding on. Because disobedience only amplifies the bitterness. 
Everyone's like, well, I'm hurt, so now I have an excuse to do what I want to do. No, no, that's only going to bring bitterness into you. Isn't there enough bitterness around you? Isn't it time to throw some obedience and bring down heaven? Because the moment you obey, it throws open heaven and allows the miraculous to flow in. We need the miraculous, and so we need obedience. But you think the story would end there. The water's sweet. Everybody drank it. Amazing. No, no, that's just the setup. So then as the people are drinking, God issues rulings and instructions for them. Because here's the big lesson here. Moses was an example of how to obey in difficulty, and it changes things. Now God says, all right, Israel, you've seen the picture. Now here's the lesson. We don't know what these rules or decrees were. All we know is that God said it. He said, here's what I'm telling you to do. And these rules and decrees were specific instructions. And it says that he put them to the test. Have you ever felt tested? Anytime recently? (laughs) What if, what if, (laughs) what if it's not all the devil? Because we give him so much credit. You know, the devil is not omnipresent. <laughs> he can't be everywhere at once. So I think there's times he's overworking on some scheme and he hears people over somewhere else saying, oh, the devil did this. He's like, me? <laughs> I'm over here. <laughs> what if it's not all the devil testing? What if God has brought you to a test because he wants to bring you through a test because in the testing you are refined? And what if he has a purpose to all of this? I would much rather the test have purpose than it be wasted time. And he said, this ain't going to be easy, but I'm going to test you. And I heard someone say this one time, a good teacher is always silent during the test. Because the teacher is not necessarily about their confidence in the student, it's their confidence in their teaching. I told you this answer, you know what to do. And so my silence is going to bring it out of you. Because if, if in the test you're like, teacher, I don't know what number two is, and they tell you, you've not wrestled enough with the difficulty to let it come up out of you. And so in this bitter stage at Mara, God is just watching, and he's waiting, and he's waiting to see what comes up out of Israel. And in your difficult situation, I believe God, with love and grace and hope, is watching and waiting to see what comes out of you. And friend, let me encourage you. Let the hope of Jesus rise up in you. Let the goodness of God flow up in you. It's time to let obedience unlock the miraculous in you. How can a spouse glorify God when their marriage falls apart? Obedience and holding tight to the goodness of God. How can a family show up after they've had difficult and and dizzying grief and loss? They hold on to the goodness of God. How can I, with diagnosis in my life and diagnosis in my body, continue to see the miraculous? You hold on and you obey today. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I obey today. Right here, right now, I throw obedience into that bitter situation. And so God's testing them. And God says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what's right in his eyes, if you pay attention, ha, hey, 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 I feel like that's what God's doing. Meet up, meet up. Hey, hey, listen, listen, I know this desert is hot. I know you're thirsty. I know you are occupied with your own comfort, but pay attention. There's more important things. Pay attention. There's more important things. Look at me. Pay attention to my commands because my commands and what they bring you are far more important than your comfort today. 
I think there's a lot to be said when God ignores <laughs> the requests of his people. When they're like, we want to be comfortable. He's like, don't worry about that. Listen. And he, because he understands the urgency of the moment. He understands you are just a few days away from your promised land. Comfort is coming, sweetheart, but I'm trying to build character here today. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and, and give you hope and a future. But here today, I've got something to do. Pay attention. Pay attention to my commands. How do we do it? I feel like I'm in kids' church again. But friends, open the Bible. Sit down and open the Bible. Read the word. How do I pay attention to something? I look at it. I look at it and I look at it and I look at it and I look at it until something shifts in me. Turn on the worship music. We need to make and carve out that sacred space in our lives now more than ever to pay attention to his commands. And this is what he says. There's a promise. If you do this, I won't bring on you the diseases I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. Egypt, this powerful, rich, and wealthy uh, kind of epicenter of the ancient world, they still went through horrific difficulty. And God is not saying that by following him, you'll never taste of difficulty. You'll never go through hard times. Certainly not. But he says, I will heal you. Anything that you go through, I'm going to bring healing from the inside out. I'm going to touch those areas of bitterness within you and bring restoration and healing to you. For I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. So, maybe you have physical ailment in your body today. This is the house of miracles. I'm not speaking allegorically or poetically. I believe in a God who in this moment can heal chronic illness. I believe in a God who can heal chronic pain. I believe in a God who can heal issues in, in, in your blood, issues in your bones, issues in your respiration. I believe God can heal COVID-19. I believe God can heal any physical ailment or maybe emotional. If we're, come on, someone's faith is rising today. Maybe you are suffering a level of depression that you have not even been able to express to anyone else. And right now your heart is pounding in your chest because you feel like a light is shining on you. Guess what? That light is the love of God. God can bring healing to depression. Maybe you have not even been able to come back to church because of something you are emotionally dealing with. And maybe you feel so weighed down today and you're holding your phone right now, looking from the outside in. Let me encourage you. God is the healer. He can heal that broken heart. He can heal heal that soul. He can heal that mind, that anxiety, that anger, that brokenness. But what will it take? Throw some obedience into the bitterness. Moses had to pick that thing up and with effort, heave obedience into the situation. It's not easy to obey, but it's worth it. It's not convenient to obey, but it's worth it. And so my question to you is what obedience do you need to throw into that bitterness today? because he'll heal you, man. In the obeying, in the doing, you're going to be healed. You're going to see that healing flow. And there's a little part of the story at the end here. Literally one verse, verse 27. Then, that's a big then, after all of that, then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs, 70 palm trees, Woo, Jesus, yes, God. And they camped there near the water. There is a promise in your life, 
of blessing and fulfillment and comfort. And I don't know if Elim represents 2021 for us or 2022 or if it represents heaven, but I do know that when it's all said and done, the people of God will be cared for and they will be provided for and they will be comfortable and they will be basking in glory in this life and in the next. But you know what I what else stands out to me about Elim? Nothing. Nothing happened there. There is no miracle in the paradise location. <laughs> there is no breakthrough in the comfortable place. Israel gets to Elim and there is only one verse devoted to it because they didn't learn nothing. God didn't say nothing. They just camped by the water. And sometimes we think that all the things that we need in our life are going to happen when we get to that place over there with, with 12 springs and 70 palm trees. We think that we'll be better in comfort. But when it's all said and done, when we look back on our life, Aleem didn't make us better. Comfort didn't make us better. Ease didn't make us better. Over there at Mara where that water was gross, the bitter made me better. The bitter is where I grew. The bitter is where I learned. The bitter is where God revealed himself to me. The the bitter made me better. Come on, someone give God some praise. Hey, hey. Come on, the bitter made me better. Because it's in those bitter nights, all friends, and if you're here right now, listen to me. It's in those bitter moments where God reveals something new about himself. He didn't say no name of himself over at Elim. It's in that moment of darkness where he said, here's my name. Here's my character. Here's my identity. And maybe, just maybe, all of this difficulty has been a stage to be set for you to know your God a little bit better. For you to know something of his character, something of his goodness that you've never seen before. The bitter will make you better if you let it. Someone say amen. Woo! The bitter made me better. And when I get to Elim, when I get to the comfort, I will be better for it. I will be able to sustain what God brings me. And what I love is Elim is just like a mini promised land. They're not even there yet. And they enjoy comfort. They go through more difficulty, we know. And then when they reach the ultimate promised land, they've learned to obey. And if all this walking through the desert taught Israel one thing, to obey, then it's worth it. And if you and I can come through this better in our obedience, man. And you know what? Not everyone's going to make it. Not everyone's going to obey through this challenge. Some people are going to say, this is too hard. I can't hold on through this difficulty. And one of the hardest things for me, man, is when I feel like I'm having to obey and others are not. And that is such a strange juxtaposition. Like, God, how come this path is going this way? And I feel like you're calling me here. But you know what, friends? When you stand before God, it's not going to be about what others did. It's going to be about you. He's looking to see if you obeyed. You have to hold on when no one else is. You have to believe when no one else is. You have to keep going down that path when others won't. Because Jesus said, if anyone is going to follow me, he or she needs to pick up their cross and follow me. You don't get to do a group effort, a group project. It's obedience between you and your savior. But friend, if you will hold on to that in the difficult times, you know who's going to be there? You and your savior. When everyone else leaves, Jesus will be there. When everyone else walks out, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is obedient. When no one else is, and what I love is when our life was just a bitter pond in the middle of a desert. When I was that Mara, that bitter water, when I had no value or worth in the taste of God's mouth, 
when I had no essence to bring to the table, Jesus threw obedience into my life. He picked up that piece of wood and he put it on his back and the most costly obedience there has ever been was thrown into the bitter pond of my life and your life. And it took that bitter, dark pond that was Justin, that was Griselle, that was Emil, and it brought sweetness to us and it brought salvation to us. And Jesus' obedience healed us. Now our obedience can heal others and change the situation. And so today, if you don't know that sweetness, if your life has felt bitter, Jesus has done everything he needs to unleash that miracle healing in your life. I believe salvation can best be described as a healing. Healing from sickness of sin. Healing from death to life. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.